0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This parable came to me this week, and, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't really studied it out much or given it much thought before, really given it, um, you know, more of a, a study opportunity than just, you know, reading it, but I believe that the Lord has some things that he wants to share from this passage, and I pray that we can dial this in, that we can lock it in and hear from heaven this morning, Amen. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1, I'm reading out of the New King James, it says, And the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. Everyone say wise and foolish. We'll do it again. Everyone say wise and foolish. Now, I find it interesting that the dividing line in this passage, the dividing line in this verse is between wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and foolishness. And I believe that this passage today couldn't be more relevant than than ever before. I feel like there's a a dividing line happening in the earth today between what seems wise and what seems foolish. And it's almost as if the two have flip-flopped. It's as if today we call foolishness being wise, using wisdom. Have we not heard the word wisdom thrown around quite a bit recently? I think we need to understand what godly wisdom really looks like. Godly wisdom will never move you away from your purpose. Godly wisdom always moves you toward your purpose. And I believe that we're we're entering days where if we don't really have a true understanding of what godly Wisdom looks like. We'll walk in foolishness and call it wisdom. You may recall a few weeks ago, I was ministering a message using the the Israelites in Numbers chapter 13 when they were on, they had just come back from spying out the land of Canaan, a land that God had already given them, a, a land that God had already promised them. He wasn't sending them into the land of Canaan to find out if they could take it. He was sending them into the land to discover how to take it. There's a difference. We should never look at a promise of God with an if. We need to discover a how. We don't look at the promises of God to determine if we can take it, if we're able, if we're strong enough, if we have enough money, if we have the right people, if we have the right support, if it seems to be God's will. No, once we determine what God's will is and what God's promise is, the next question is, okay, Lord, how do you want me to take this? How do you want me to conquer this? How do you want me to engage this? When you walk in with an if in your mind, with a question in your mind, you're already starting out behind the eight ball. You're already, you're going backwards, not forwards. To move forward in the things of God, we don't question the promises of God. And today, there's been a lot of questioning. There's been a lot of challenging. There's been a lot of, and what we do is we've used this wisdom language, this wisdom verbiage. To mask what is really just foolishness. To mask what is really just, look, if it goes against God's plan and against God's direction for your life, it's only foolishness, and that's it. Now, we need wisdom to enter the things of God. We need wisdom to engage the things of God. But I can tell you right now, God's wisdom will look like foolishness to man. And we'll do just that. We'll laugh at it. It'll get mocked. Jesus undertook some some mocking, did he not? Some getting laughed at. You remember when Jesus came uh, to Jairus's daughter's house, right? And they had already come and brought a report. Don't bother the master anymore. She's dead. Meaning he can't get this one. And Jesus turned to. J.R.S. looked them square in the eyes and said, what? Don't be afraid, only believe. They laugh, they mock, they scoff. He shows up at the house, and then he makes a foolish statement, right? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. I'm telling you right now, it's time for the church to start calling some dead things back to life. Waking some dead things back up. It's not dead. It's just sleeping. Morality's not dead. It's just sleeping. The church is not dead, but we might be asleep. But it's time to wake some things back up. But you got to have a church that's awake to wake things back up. A sleepy church ain't changing nothing. A slumbering church ain't A lazy church ain't changing Nothing. And so if we buy the lie of wisdom, if we buy the lie of what is really just foolishness to God. Now we've got to come in and we're going, to, we're going to call some things differently than what it looks like. Before, before it begins to turn. There's this divide with wisdom and with foolishness. There's this divide of what looks like wisdom, but really God calls Foolishness And what looks like foolishness, God, God calls wisdom. Wisdom always moves you toward your purpose. Another indicator is wisdom will never move you to fear. Wisdom will never move you to fear. I've never seen anyone get where they want to go in life with fear as their leader. Never. Fear will lead you nowhere you want to go. And too many of us have have given fear the, the, the leading voice in our life. Fear is the one gripping voice in the world today, it is the enemy's agenda. Fear is the enemy's agenda in these last days. He's using fear to coerce you, manipulate you out of God's plan for your life. Now, again, as we said several weeks ago, when those Israelites, when they were speaking and they were saying how big the giants were and how vast the land was, Those of you that came down this morning, you may be encountering some giants that are much bigger than you. You may be engaging a land that may seem too much for you to take on and that will actually swallow you up. You know, sometimes we get ourselves into responsibilities that end up swallowing us up rather than the opposite. But when God calls you into something, he doesn't consult how big it is how strong it is, how mighty it is. He wants you to take on dreams that are bigger than you, hopes that are bigger than you, things that are beyond even your competency and your level of skill and your level of ability or what I've experienced or what I've proven to be able to do. God wants to to move you by faith, not by fear. But when those Israelites, those 10 spies, the bad spies, the evil spies that gave the bad report, while they were giving the bad report, they weren't they they didn't intentionally in their mind say, let let's let's choose fear. Let's let's all be afraid. No, they thought they were using wisdom. And no, no, we, 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 we shouldn't. It's too big. They're too mighty. Come on, you want to listen to us? This is the wise thing to do. This is the wise thing to do is to, 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 you know, we can't go in and go up against it. Have you seen? You know, people that are moved by fear, they always have facts and statistics. We, We live in a world of overindulgence of facts and statistics. We even have what's called fact checkers today. We have people that will check the facts for you. We need some faith checkers in the earth today. When he comes, he's going to, where, where is, when the Son of Man returns, where is faith? Faith, there's a spirit of faith. Faith isn't something you just conjure up by, well, I'm just going to think good things. I'm just going to believe. No, it's a spirit of faith. You either have a spirit of fear or a spirit of faith. A spirit of faith doesn't fact check. A a spirit of faith in the face of facts that go against God's word will deny it. A spirit of faith will challenge the facts. Remember, Caleb and Joshua never once denied that there were giants in the land never once denied the vastness of the land, never once denied that, that it was a land that, 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 you know, swallows up its enemies, never denied that it was very fortified and very, they didn't deny the facts. They just decided not to be led by the facts. You can be led by facts or you can be led by faith. facts will get you in trouble. Facts are there so you know what you're up against so you then know how to take it out so you then know how to coordinate an attack against the thing that's trying to stop you from the purpose and the plan of God. we need some coordinated attacks in these last days we need the church to, to stop rising up with just casual gimmicks and trips uh, tricks and and, and, and religious uh, affairs and, and and just the the goofiness that we come up with we need the church to strategize some coordinated attacks against the enemy in these last days we need the church to know what it's up against to be able to challenge it the days of of, of the church uh uh of uh, just you know not touching certain subjects because well you know we don't really we, we don't talk about that We 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 don't we don't well guess who is talking about it? The public schools are talking about it, the commercials and the ads are talking about it, every celebrity in Hollywood's just about talking about it. Why is the church silent on things that the world has no problem engaging, and they don't care how young they are, they don't care how immature they are? Somebody, (laughs) come on now! We have no coordinated effort against the plan and the attack of the enemy in these last days. And an escape plan is not a victory plan. And I said, an escape plan out of here is not a victory plan. That's not the answer. If it were the answer, then Jesus would not have prayed in John chapter 17, do not take them out of this world. He would have prayed immediately, take them out of this world. The second I come up out of this grave, we all going home to Beulah land to walk streets of gold. But that's not what he prayed. He said, keep them from the evil one. I pray that you keep them from the evil one in John 17. That was was Jesus' prayer. And you know what? Jesus gets answers to prayer. I mean, if you think, you think you're looking for an escape route, you got to go against Jesus. Now, he wanted the church to be the answer in these days. But a church that's looking for a way out cannot be the way out. <laughs> yeah. I said a church that's looking for a way out cannot be the way out. We need a church that has some coordinated efforts. Where's the strategic church at? The strategizing church at? We need church people in government. I said we need church people in government. Quit thinking that government's the problem. No, we just need the right people in government. We need the right people in the schools. The schools aren't the problem. The teachers aren't the problem. The school boards aren't the problem. The people that determine curriculum aren't the problem. We just need the right people in place. Quit looking at the place a, a, as the problem. We need to get see what, what the problem is. Is if you're afraid of it, then you'll never engage it. You won't think we have any business in government. You won't think we have any place. There, there's a the Oklahoma uh, Republic, uh, Republican Congressman in the state of Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, just an unbelievable. Man of God, this guy is. If you don't know who he is, Google him, look him up. He's been pretty busy lately. <laughs> and he's given voice to some things from a spiritual standpoint, from a spiritual aspect. But he's, he is not afraid to engage the warfare of the world. He's not afraid to engage the enemy on his turf. It's time we go after some things. We need believers to stand up and get into these sectors of society. We need some Christian athletes to stand up with a voice for the kingdom of God. There's a basketball player down in Orlando, plays for the Orlando Magic, who has done just that. And not just given a voice for anti-this or anti-that, but pro-God. He has no problem saying, God is my provider. God is my source. I don't fear man. I don't fear a virus. I don't fear mandates. I don't fear the NBA. I don't fear my peers. I don't fear my coaches. I mean, he's boldly come out. This is what we need in these last days is a strategized, strategic effort to go after the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God should be advancing, not retreating. Not, not, not be becoming reclusive and, and isolating to ourselves. The church ought not be found inside of its chapels with its stained glass windows, with the doors locked, hoping the enemy doesn't get in. We should be barring every single ounce of territory that the kingdom of darkness has and overthrowing it and taking it back. Taking back the schools. Taking back business. Taking back government. Taking back Medicine. We need some Christian medical doctors to speak to things from a medical point of view, but a spiritual point of view. But there's plenty of people in the church that made doctors the bad guys. No, we don't need doctors. We don't No, we do. We absolutely do. We need spirit-filled doctors, bold doctors. Man. We need some, the kingdom is rising. I said, the kingdom is rising. I sense it. I sense it in my spirit. And we're bringing foolishness to light. We're taking the mask off. It's not caution. It's not wisdom. It's not using your brain. It's just downright foolishness to God. We're not impressing him. With, with, with our man-made solutions. We're trying to fight spiritual battles with natural solutions. It doesn't work. It never has. It never will. It never has. Not one time has man in all of his superiority and, and, and brain power and wisdom and creativity ever been able to take down a power of darkness on it on natural resources alone. The marriages are still just as broken as they were before. Addictions are still ruling, running rampant as they were before. People trying to break free from stuff with natural means alone. It's time that we get some spiritual support on the front lines of the church in these last days. The kingdom is advancing, and those, it suffers violence, but those that take it, they suffer violence, but the violent take it by force. We've got to call the church back to life. So the church can call things for as it is. You know, it's okay to be a part of a church that stirs things up. Y'all hear me? It's okay. I'm not talking about our intention is just to disrupt and make people angry and make people mad, but understand that they will. Jesus came to disrupt stuff. And you know where he started? Was in the church, in the synagogue. Go to Luke chapter four. We'll just, just let's just jump over there. I thought I knew how this might play out, but apparently I don't, so just follow me and we'll all get there together, okay? If we get lost, we'll be lost together. Put your finger in Matthew 24. Some of y'all are like, oh, now you tell me. Yeah, you, are, you already flipped over. There. You'll find it. It's okay. It's still there. It'll, it'll still be there. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, speaking about Jesus. So he came to Nazareth. Guys, I'm going to need this whole chapter, so just plan on that. He came to Nazareth, his hometown. Where does he start? <laughs> with the people he knows best, with the people that know him best. He started at home. I said he started at home. He started in Nazareth. This is right after he's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been sent out for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And now he comes right back home and says, let's let's stir some things up. Let's do something He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All of those are good things, aren't they? Isn't that good stuff to be doing? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's a great thing. To heal the brokenhearted. Don't you know we need some brokenhearted people to find restoration and healing on the inside, in their hearts. Amen? That's a good thing. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's a good thing. Recovery of sight to the blind. That's a great thing. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. We're setting people free. We're seeing people literally who have been held in bondage for years. For their lifetime, they've never known freedom. And they're finding, experiencing true freedom in the kingdom of God. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because that was good stuff. That's that's some good preaching. Jesus is up in the synagogue before the people reading out of the book of Isaiah. They had no problem with the scripture. They had no problem with the reading of the word. They had no problem with him going about his customary action of going in the synagogue. They had no problem with Jesus, their their fellow uh, Nazarene. Come on. They knew him. They knew his parents. They knew the business. They knew what he did. They knew this is the carpenter's son. They knew that they knew his brothers and his sisters. They knew his mom and his dad. But then in verse twenty-one, and he began to say to them, "Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." You know, I, I find it interesting that that many people are. People are more, they're okay with God doing stuff at a later time. They're okay with God, how do I, how do I put this? They're in, we, we, we love the promises of God. We love his word to us. We read his word and we 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 digest his word and we value the word and we believe in the blessings that it can bring in our life and what it can do. But then when somebody engages it as in, okay, that's got to happen now and this is the time and this is who God's going to use. All of a sudden, there's a resistance. All of a sudden, there's there's a, 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 a hesitancy. This is no different than when the Israelites walked into the very land God had promised. They were okay with the promise. They talked about it for over 400 years, thousands of years. They loved the idea of coming out of slavery. They loved the idea of coming out of bondage. But what they didn't anticipate was... What would happen when the promise began? See, God is calling us to an assignment. Lord, help me say this. Help me preach this right now. God is calling us to an assignment that we all know is coming. The question is, the question is not, is it? The question is, when is it? The question is, will you be prepared? When that time comes, not just prepared for the coming of Jesus. Oh, we've heard plenty of those messages. Are you ready? If you were to come today, do you know where you would be? It, it, he, he could come to the cloud at any moment, like a thief in the night, right? We've heard all these messages. We've heard all these preachings. And we it's always still, even though they try to bring some, some reality to it, it's still met with, oh, yeah, when Jesus comes. It's still got this anticipation of something long off. But now when Jesus says, no, this scripture today is fulfilled. See, they had been believing for a Messiah. They had been believing that the Messiah was going to come, that the Son of God was going to come and redeem man once again. They, They knew this scripture backward and forward. They had heard this before. They didn't have a problem with the scripture. They had a problem with Jesus when he said, today, this has been fulfilled. The Israelites didn't have a problem with the promise of Canaan land. They had a problem with, oh, we're the ones that have to go up against all that. We would love God for us to just hand us stuff. But I don't know that the church is really ready to be a part of the move of God. We want to see a move of God. We want to spectate a move of God. But I want the church that is ready to be a part of the move of God. Participate in a move of God. There's a difference. There's a difference. See, when revival has hit our world, our planet. It came from people that weren't just sitting around wanting to see God do something. They were ready to be a part of what God was doing. And what they didn't know is they were a part of it all along. Jesus isn't just reading Scripture from the book of Isaiah in this passage. He's fulfilling it. And I believe the church is coming in, the church, his church is coming into days that we won't just read Scripture and preach Scripture and teach Scripture. We will fulfill Scripture. I believe that's us today. I believe we will see Scripture fulfilled right in the midst of us. And as we've seen as a regular pattern, when it comes, not everyone is ready to receive it. And I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a key to our readiness. I think there's a key to our readiness. Because it says in verse 22, all bore witness to him. Is it okay if we just unflesh this thing right here, right now, just flesh this thing out? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm kind of learning it with you, but that's okay. All bore witness to him marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, this is where we go wrong. Shh. Is this not Joseph's son? Ah. Why did those Israelites say no? Why did those 10 spies (laughs) say no? Golly. We are just grasshoppers in their sight. (sighs) Didn't even know who they were. Verse 16 says he came to Nazareth. This is his own people. There's another passage where someone from Nazareth makes this statement. Has anything good come from Nazareth? Somebody want to look that up for me, find that for me? Anything good? is this not Joseph's son? Hmm. Verse 28, after Jesus addresses these people that doubt, Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Filled with wrath? Filled with wrath to hear that the one who would preach the gospel to the poor was standing right in front of them. The one that would heal the brokenhearted was ministering right to them to proclaim liberty to the captives recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to fulfill a scripture that they had read time and time and time and time again. Are we really ready to see scripture fulfilled in front of us? Are we really ready? Somebody got that? Man, y'all got some Bible scholars in this room. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all was on Google. Y'all was on U version. Y'all. Yeah, don't look at me with those religious faces. I, I knew where it was, Pastor. It was in the back of my I know I know that one. Nah, y'all were using the tools. John 146. Come on, let's let's go on a journey today. Let's let the Holy Spirit show us some stuff today. Man. Glory to God. John chapter 1, go to verse 43. Hmm. This is like midweek Bible study kind of stuff. For those of you that weren't coming for this heaviness, I'm sorry. Just, Just sit back and enjoy the ride. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone has an of. Everyone has an of. Jesus of Nazareth. What is your of? Of divorce of brokenness, of poverty, of racism, of anxiety. Come on, everybody's got an of in this room. An of, where you thought you came from, what you thought you belonged to, and what you thought belonged on you. In verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The reason why... These people had such a hard time with Jesus saying, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. It wasn't because of what Jesus was doing. It was because of where Jesus came from. They couldn't reconcile his assignment with his identity. And here comes this identity thing back. I can't even get off of it. Not even on a Sunday. I wouldn't even want to talk about identity today. Why did the Israelites say no? Why did those 10 spies say no? They said, for we were but grasshoppers in their sight. They were Israelites of slavery, they were Israelites of bondage, they were Israelites of no good. They were Israelites of always having being subjected to someone else. They were Israelites of brokenness. They were, they could not, they, they could understand the promise of God in scripture form as something that was talked about and something that was that 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 was spoken of and believed in, but they did not really have the conviction to walk out the promise of God themselves. We'll never obtain the promises of God with the wrong identity. In fact, you'll reject it. You'll grab hold of it. And you'll lead it to the edge of the cliff and try to throw it off. Because in Luke 4, verse 28, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Because nothing good can come. See, they had such a poor identity of themselves that they said there's no way this man could achieve that great of an assignment. There's no way this man could be the one that would preach the gospel to the poor, bring recovery of sight to the blind, heal the brokenhearted, or proclaim the acceptable. There's no way that guy. We know that the word is true. We know that that can come to pass, and we've been believing that there's a Messiah coming, but for whatever reason they could not reconcile, this was him. It's time to reconcile that we are them. We are the church God is calling in these last days. We are everything his word says that we are. We can do everything his word says we can do. We can have everything his word says we can have. We can be everything God's word says we can be. But there are still people that believe the word in Scripture form, but they don't believe it enough to live on it. They don't believe it enough to apply it. They don't believe it enough to believe that they could literally be the ones to usher in. Yes, help us today. Lord, help us in our thinking. Help us in our identity. Help us see what you see. Help us perceive what we can only perceive by the Spirit of God. Numbers chapter 14. This one wasn't in there either, guys, so you're going to have to go there with me. Numbers chapter 14. Hmm. Numbers 14, verse 24. Man. Numbers 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has, everyone say it with me, a different spirit. Everyone say different. 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 Come on, I'm going to keep going so everyone in the room says it. Different. There's always that 10% that's like, I ain't saying it. I, you ain't going to make me say it. <laughs> There's always that rebellious group. Make the whole class do push ups because one guy won't get it right, right? A different spirit. Different from what? Shh. Distinguished. Set apart. Where's the ones with the different spirit? See, your your identity is not subject to you just going to church more. Your identity is not conformed uh, because you do all the right things. Your identity won't be conformed or transformed, um, or you won't get a different perspective of who you are and what your life is on your own. It's only by the Spirit of God. Only by the Spirit of God. What did Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? And what was Jesus' next words? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is, meaning this was divinely revealed. You don't understand this on your own natural ability, Those Nazarenes, when they looked at Jesus standing up there in the synagogue, reading that verse and then saying, today this has been fulfilled in your midst, in your eyes, they rejected it because they did not have the spirit to receive who he really was. They did not have the spirit of God. Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. Different than who? Different than the ten spies. I See, you cannot go into the promise of God, the land of Canaan, what God has been calling you to in your own ability. Will only obtain it if we have the right spirit. Your flesh will always be afraid. Your flesh will always succumb to wisdom and origins or resources of man. Your, your, your flesh doesn't have the capacity to comprehend who you really are what you can really do, who you can really be, what you can have. When I see people living below means or below the standard that God has set for them, I see someone that needs the Spirit of God. They need to come in contact with the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that's going to get the church over in these last days. A church that denies the Spirit or puts the Holy Spirit in a box, or doesn't want to allow people to engage fully what the Holy Spirit of God does in a believer's life, you will not be a part of the last day move of God. You will not. There is an ushering in of Jesus. There is an ushering in of his plan. There is an ushering in. And what are we doing to usher in That doesn't mean that we tell Jesus when to come and when he can't, but he comes where he's welcome. A different spirit. These things are not naturally discerned, but they are only spiritually comprehended. All right, so let's go back to where we started, Matthew chapter 25. I mean, if we just ask the question, what is God doing in these days? What what is he up to? What is he saying? What is he speaking? What is he doing in the earth today? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the destruction and the depravity. It doesn't take an extremely smart person to recognize that things are getting worse. That things are going in a direction that are opposite what we think it would look like. But what is God doing? What is God doing? Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, and here it is, but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So it wasn't enough to just have the lamp or the vessel. The vessel needed to have something in it. The vessel needed to be filled with something. And while the bridegroom was delayed... They all slumbered and slept. Now that word delayed does not mean that the bridegroom, um, you know, decided not to come or that he got stuck in traffic or decided to wait around. One translation reads, when he did not come as they expected, See, Jesus is not delayed. God is not delayed. But that doesn't mean that He comes when you expect Him. That doesn't mean He shows up when we expect Him. That means He comes when He is ready to come. Our job is not uh, uh, to set the clock in the calendar, our job is to be ready. When he comes. They slept and they slumbered. I believe that's the state of the world today. Asleep. Asleep. And at midnight, the cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps and of the foolish and the foolish said to the wise give us some of your oil see you don't know its foolishness until it's too late and on the flip side you don't know its wisdom until it's too late. I can try to convince you all day long that it's wise, that it's wisdom, and it's not going to look like it. But if you wait until it looks like wisdom to believe it's wisdom, it's too late. If you wait to find out if this thing really pans out, if this is really the way, you know, I, 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 I've I've always told people this that don't want to believe in God or don't want to believe, don't want to get saved, don't want to get born again. I, I, I've told people this. Well, let's say you're right and I'm wrong. What have I lost? In the end, come to find out that God's stuff was just a bunch of funny business. He's not really real. In the end, what have I lost? But let's say I'm right, and you're wrong, and my God is real, and you stand before him. What have you lost? Everything. (laughs) Everything. This isn't a matter of trying to discern what, what is wise and what's foolish. This is about discerning the times. This is about understanding the role that we play. And what are we going to do right now to prepare ourselves to usher in the move of God? This is a picture of revival, is what this passage is. They said, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. And afterward, The other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Oil, many times in the Word of God, is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And what we're identifying is... Very simply, the church must be filled with the Holy Spirit if we are going to be ready and be prepared. Another uh, example that is used in the Bible for oil is the anointing. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, when someone was anointed, they poured oil on their head. Kings, priests... Prophets were anointed physically with oil on their head. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me. And then He gives the list of the things He's going to do. Then He looks them in the eye and says, Today, today, This scripture has been fulfilled. It was not until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was not until he was anointed for service in the kingdom of God. Guys, go to Acts chapter 1. Go to Acts chapter 1. Let's see if we can land this thing. Preparation. You've heard us say before, preparation reveals expectation. I think it's pretty obvious from that passage which of the virgins we need to be. Wise or foolish? Prepared or unprepared? Ready or not ready? Then he draws the line in the sand, makes it very clear. I'm a very black and white. Person. It's either this or that, one or the other. And 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 so this passage it, it goes great with my demeanor. There's no gray area. We've either got wise ones or foolish ones. And the foolish ones might have looked wise beforehand, and the wise ones might have looked foolish beforehand, but when the time came, it identified who was wise and who was foolish. It said there that, that five of them were wise and Five of them were foolish. They were wise and foolish before. But wisdom was the what called them to be prepared. Foolishness was what caused them to not be prepared. Now in Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, Jesus speaking with his disciples just before he's ascended into heaven. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everyone say Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with what the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and for whatever reason. That term in and of itself, baptized in the Holy Spirit, is almost non-existent in the church today. In many churches today. I've had people tell me, well, you know, it's not that we don't believe it, we just don't preach it. So apparently you don't have enough conviction about it to speak about it, share about it, teach about it, and help others Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Apparently, Jesus had a high value for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he tells them to what? Wait. Wait. Don't do anything until you are baptized, until you receive the oil in your lamp. Just being a lamp alone doesn't make you ready. You need to have oil in the lamp. There's a reason why we need the oil in the lamp. It's said in that passage that they, that when the bridegroom showed up, they trimmed their lamps. That means to adorn. That means to, 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 to make ready is what that means. It's literally what the church is, is supposed to be doing. Getting filled with the oil and then adorning or making ready for preparation of the bridegroom of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is returning. He is coming back. I think we've been fixated on the wrong thing. When will Jesus come? How will Jesus come? What day will that be? What will it look like? Just like these disciples. He tells them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse six, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. They, they got just as mixed up about the end times and the returning of Jesus just as we do. They thought this was about, okay, when's he coming? When's he coming? Am I, you know, what, What's that going to like? And where are we going to go when he comes? We, we, we have put the wrong emphasis on the wrong part of what Jesus is trying to show us. And they did the same thing. And in verse 7, he responds, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But look at how he responds in the next verse. But you shall receive what? Power when the who? Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit. In essence, he says, it's not about knowing when. And how and what it's going to look like and where we're going to go. It's about being ready when he does. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit so that we are doing what we need to do until he shows up and we are ready to be received by him when he comes. It's the same exact thing that we just read about in Matthew chapter 25. We have vessels here but they have not been filled with oil. We have vessels here, but they have not received the spirit of God. That will allow them to go in and conquer the things they're supposed to conquer. Do what they're supposed to do. Be who they're supposed to be. And I'm telling you right now, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God upon your life for the assistance, uh, for the spiritual assistance and the spiritual assignment to which you've been called, you are at a great disadvantage in these last days. believe it's a prime tactic of the enemy to make the Holy Spirit so confusing that we'd rather be without it than be with it, that we would rather have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit than to receive him and work out the kinks as they come. Like I heard an old evangelist say, I'd rather have a little wildfire then no fire. There is, a, there is a weird fear of the Holy Spirit and a move of God in the church. And I believe that's getting broken. I believe that's getting broken. But I can tell you right now, when a move of God shows up, It's going to create a disturbance. It's going to create a disturbance. And the number one individuals that are going to get disturbed are the religious. (laughs) Oh, that just makes me laugh. It's the religious that aren't going to be as approachable and expecting and accepting Of the move of God. Just as they did with Jesus, they'll be ready to take it to the edge of the cliff and throw it off rather than receive the gospel being preached, the poor being delivered, the brokenhearted being healed, the proclaiming of the year of the Lord. They would rather get rid of it altogether than to receive a move of God in the earth today. While, all the while, the lost come running. All the while, the lost comes saying, give me more of that. That's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been searching for. That's what I've been desiring to see. This is the church in the last days. This is the church in the last days. Oh, man. It's the very thing the devil does not want to see. This is the very thing the devil is working so hard at concealing is the Holy Spirit. Because Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. We need a different spirit. Would you stand up with me? We need a different spirit.